So I pray that you'll uh, talk with your family and get involved and uh, help us find those people that the Lord has prepared to lead our church in, in the coming years. Uh, Zig Ziglar was probably the greatest motivational speaker or one of them ever. And uh, I was at a conference one time where he spoke and he talked about the day that everything changed for him when he realized that where he was now standing was the center of the world. And he was standing in Yazoo City, Mississippi. There he was, he said, and he stood in this downtown of Yazoo City, Mississippi, and realized he could get to anywhere in the world from the exact spot where he was standing. Center of the world, Yazoo City, Mississippi. And his point was, well, any place is a good place to start. You can get to anywhere you want to go by starting exactly where you are. Sometimes we think that if we were in another place, it'd be easier. If we were in another situation, it'd be simpler. Uh, AA calls that, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous calls that a geographical cure. Are you familiar with this? It, it's, when, it's when alcoholics say, I'll go to another city and I won't drink. And, and the answer is, yes, you will. You just won't know your way home. You always think it is better that I will go somewhere else and start? No. Right where you are is the best place to start. But you do have to start. You just can't stay where you are. You have to start. Why? Why is it so important that we start? Because unless you start, you don't get anywhere. You don't get anything done. And every game every life only has so much time. And the sad truth is many of us will come to the end without ever having started. So Jesus reminds his disciples in a very interesting conversation that John records for us in chapter 9 of his gospel. Chapter 9 of John's gospel, stand with me in honor of God's word. Jesus is leaving the temple and as he does, he's passing by and he sees a man who's blind from birth. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work may be displayed in him. And we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work as long as I'm in the world. I am the light of the world. Night is coming when no one can work. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Forgive us, O oh Father, for the arrogance of thinking that we have all the time we want, all the time we need. Remind us how precious every moment is, that it would encourage us to be faithful, obedient, and courageous in every moment we have. And we pray this in your name. 
Amen. Jesus had just left the temple. He had had a run-in with the religious leaders, and as he was leaving the temple, they ran into a man who was born blind. Of course, as Jesus sees the man, the disciples want to start a discussion. Jesus, why was this man born blind? They want to study him. They want to know what the problem was. Was it this man's sin, or was it his parents' sin? Who messed up? that this man has to go through this kind of suffering. What sin is he trying to atone for? Have you ever noticed that when something's messed up in our world, the first thing we want to do is make a committee? Right? We want to study it. If we have a conference on poverty, you'll come to that. You want to study all about poverty. You want to know why people are poor. You want to know what can be done and how we should do it. If I introduce you to a poor person, we'd rather go to the conference. It's easy to study about it. It's easy to talk about it. It's easier uh, to try to understand it than it is to try to do something about it, try to get engaged in the need of the person in front of you. But Jesus gives an interesting answer, doesn't he? It's neither this man's fault nor his parents. Well, it has to be somebody's fault. We spend a lot of time in our nation trying to find people to blame. As if that will help. Okay, listen, if somebody messes, uh, messes with you, if somebody hurts you, you know, you always want to find that person whose fault it is. And, and you want that person to take responsibility for it. And you want them to say, I'm sorry. And you want them to come and apologize. And you want them to tell you it's their fault and it was their mistake. And after they do all of that, does that help? You're still in the same mess. You still got to deal with it. Even if you've got all of the blame lined up. It's still your problem to deal with. It's still your problem to face. It doesn't matter sometimes whose fault it is. And sometimes it doesn't help to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out who's to blame. And sometimes it's nobody's fault at all. Well, Mike, it has to be somebody's fault. Yeah, but there's a couple of things that we don't realize or we don't spend enough time thinking about. One, we don't take sin seriously enough. Okay, because some of us will say silly lies to ourselves like, well, it's just my little sin. Or it's just one little sin and it won't hurt anybody. We don't understand how devastating sin is and what happens when it gets into the lives of people. You know, we always think that you can cultivate a private sin. Okay, Mike, it's just my little sin. It's not affecting anybody. I've got it right here. Sin's like kudzu. It will not stay where you plant it. Okay, and if you're not careful, it will take over your entire heart. What happens when you start that private sin, it changes the way you see the world. 
And when it changes the way you see the world, it changes the way that you act. We live in a world that is broken because of sin. Sin messes the world up down to the molecular level. Talking yesterday with uh, Bishop Walker and, and, together, and, and the Better Together event that we did, we're talking about the 2,500 backpacks that were given out and, and, the, and the number of children who will come, and that will be their supply for the entire school year. Okay, the pencils in that bag will have to last them the entire school year. They won't get any more pencils. What did that child do wrong to deserve that? Be born on the wrong side of the street. That was their crime. And now we have a whole system that beats people down. The whole system is broken. The whole system is sinful. And if you're in this system, that sin is beating you down and it's no fault of your own. Sin breaks things. It breaks nations. It breaks people. It breaks nature. It breaks the environment. It breaks cultures. Sometimes it's not anybody's fault. But, but, no matter what kind of mess it is, no matter what kind of situation it is, it's always an opportunity for God to show how good He is. Now, don't misread that, okay? Some of you are thinking, well, what kind of God messes things up just so He can show off how good He is? That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is once you realize you're in a mess, once you're in a hole, stop digging. Yes. Quit trying to fix it yourself. Quit trying to make it better yourself. The same person that created the problem is probably not going to be the same person that solves the problem. Once you realize you're in that kind of mess, understand that God is good enough, God is strong enough, God is creative enough to do something about even your mess. One of the reasons we love the creation story is that God created everything from nothing. Created all the planets. Created all the stars with nothing more than His Word. So when you bring him the broken pieces of your mess, imagine what he can do now. This is an opportunity for God to work. There's never an opportunity that outflanks God, that overwhelms God, that stumps God, that confuses God. He can always work a plan. Romans 8. Everything works for good. Amen. Now, everything isn't good. True. That's not what Paul says. It's that everything works for good. 
uh, and I, I tell you this all the time, if you can imagine God as a chef standing in front of the, uh, in the kitchen with a big bowl, whatever you throw in your life, whatever somebody else throws in your life, remember, it's not always your fault. God is good enough, creative enough, wonderful enough, loving enough that he can make a gourmet meal no matter where he starts. No matter what he starts with. It's not that everything is good when it goes in. Everything is good when God finishes with it. This is an opportunity for you to see how good God is, how great God is, how strong God is. But you have to start. Because we only have so much time. Now, if you grew up in a little Baptist church like I did, and the second coming was preached on every other Sunday, okay, and we were always trying to figure out who 666 was, and there was a new name every week about who the Antichrist was. And it was Stalin, and it was uh, Henry Kissinger, and it was Saddam Hussein. You know, God, we had them all, man. Uh, and, and, and it would be something like they were on a boat, and the boat, boat had 666 on it, and somebody had a picture of it. Well, this proves it. <laughs> or if you added up their name, divided by their father's name, multiplied it by the name of the country, then you ended up with 666. That proved it. We always think it's about Gabriel blowing his trumpet and we're running out of time. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say the second coming. He said night's coming. Some of you have been carrying on a conversation with God for years. And you think you have all the time. For some reason, we get this thing confused that God will respond to us anytime we reach out to Him. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches it's when God comes to you that you have the chance to respond. And you think as long as this conversation is going on that you've all got plenty of time. And I'll work it out one day after I do this, after I do that, after I do this. But the Scriptures are clear. Isaiah tells us that we should seek the Lord while he may be found. What does that mean? Someday you'll seek him and you won't find him. The story of Zacchaeus. How many of you remember that story in Luke 19? Zacchaeus was too short to see all the crowd, so he climbed up in a tree so he could see Jesus. Do you remember in the first verse what we're told about Jesus? Jesus was passing through. Zacchaeus would have that moment, but only that moment, to make the decision to stay in the tree or come down and follow Jesus. But he wouldn't have long. Jesus was just passing through. Night comes. when you run out of chances. Night comes when you run out of time. Opportunities are lost. Lives end. 
moments are missed. Because we thought we had plenty of time. The old preachers tell a story of Satan calling all of his demons together for a big meeting. He was looking for a new plan, so he asked his demons what they would suggest. Some said, well, let's tell them there is no God. Satan said, we tried that, it didn't work. Let's tell them there is no heaven, no hell. Said, we tried that, it didn't work. The last one sort of smiled, and he said, what's your idea? He said, we would tell them there's no hurry. Got plenty of time. And you don't ever know what time it is for you, nor do you know what time it is for your friend. You always assume. You know, we always have this running controversy, and it will, it will ebb and flow, uh, that we call universalism. Universalism is everybody ends up saved. And, and so we'll have a big thing come out, and there'll be books written about it, and books written against it. Books. Now, if you were to ask the average Southern Baptist, ask you, do you believe in universalism? All of us would say no. There's a time of judgment. There's a time we'll give an account. And the Lord will reward us according to our faithfulness, according to our works, according to our lives, and whether or not we have made a statement of that we believe, that our faith that we believe in Him, and we live accordingly. All of us believe that or say we do, but honestly, most of us live as practical universalists. You think God will find a way for your friend. You think God will find a way for your neighbor. If you don't reach out. If you don't speak up. If you don't share the gospel. Most of us live as if we're practical universalists. God will figure out a way. God will find a way. But night comes. When no one can work. Night comes. There's only so much time. Only so much daylight. And then it's over. Then it's over. What happened to the desperation of evangelism? What happened to you and me trying to find whatever way we could to share the gospel however we could, trying to make sure our friend, our neighbor, our family member, our loved one had the chance to respond to the gospel somehow? 
What happened to that fear that you will have to stand up in front of Jesus and say, yes, I know, I was silent when I should have said something. I was disobedient when I should have done something. Oh, I know, we got all kind of excuses. But any, are any of those excuses something you want to tell Jesus? When you look at the scars in his hands and the stripes on his back, are you going to tell him, well, it was inconvenient? Or I didn't know what to say. night comes when no one can work. Let me ask you something. How much time do you think you have? What's your deadline? You don't know, do you? Historians tell us that one thing that makes the human animal different from all the other animals is that we are aware of our own mortality. We know that we will die. We just don't know when. True. But you do know it will happen. Maybe. And it never happens on the day you think it will. True. Now, some of us have been in some scraps. Some of us have been in military situations with a battle, right? Combat. And you didn't think you were going to live through that. You did. Some of you have been driving in Nashville. <laughs> Didn't think you would live through that. But you did. But it'd be on the day that you least expected, Jesus warned us, the way a thief comes in the night. And you'll run out of time. And there won't be any more chances. Night will have come. Now, maybe God will prompt someone else to reach to your neighbor. Maybe the Spirit will lead another friend. But your chances are over. This is an opportunity for God to show you his goodness, Jesus said. We must do the, one, the work of the one who sent me while it is still light, for the night is coming when no one can work. But as long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world. I don't know how many more days you have. I know you have this one. I don't know how many chances there are. I know you have this one. But night is coming. Let's pray together.
some of you know the friend, you know his name, you know her name, you know you should have said something. You know, when they ask you some questions about what you believe or how you're able to handle life like you are, you were supposed to say something and you didn't. You're counting on another chance. So I pray right now that the Lord will indeed give you that chance. And when he does, I pray you'll be bold. I pray you'll be courageous. But maybe it's time to pray for that friend and pray for your response to them. For some of you, you've had a running debate with God about when, how. You're always assuming there'll be one more Sunday, one more week, one more day. You don't have that promise. No one does. So this is the day of salvation. This is the day to respond to however God is coming to you, whether it's come to receive him as Lord and Savior, be part of this church, join in him in his work. However that work, however he's come to you, our church waits for you now. We've got our ministers, our counselors standing at a, a table outside says next steps, waiting for you to continue this conversation. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, you're at a great place to start. But you do need to start. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now the choices we make are exactly what you want.